Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is another edition of Journey into Justice. As always, I'm joined by my uh, very good friend, attorney and author, Mark Bellow. Mark, welcome to the program. Good evening, Simon. How are you, man? I'm doing wonderful. You you were giving me heart failure. Um, I I should explain. Uh, last week I I had a horrible problem with my telephone. The primary reason was um, my left hand has uh, been acting up, and holding it to my ear for uh, prolonged periods of time um, was incredibly uncomfortable and it kept slipping. Then I had to fiddle with it to uh, get it to where I could, uh, you know, hear the conversation again. So uh, I thought, well, I'm going to fix this. Bought myself a, a, albeit cheap headset, with microphone. Why, why, why cheap? <laughs> because I'm because I don't have any money. <laughs> okay. And decided to boldly go where uh, no sane person should go, and okay. uh, cut the telephone completely out of the uh, loop. So. Um, we are doing this without a telephone, and it kind of sort of seems to be working. I, I know it needs tweaking for quality purposes, but uh, hell, you know, at least we're back on the road. So anyway, Mark, how have you been? I'm doing fine, thank you. I, I, and I hear you very well. Oh, good. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever, whatever your your rigged uh, uh, system is, <laughs> it's a rigged system, Simon. Whatever your rigged system is, it's working fine. Well, I, I can tell you the uh, hardware. The, the hardware cost me exactly eight dollars and fifty six cents at Dollar General. <laughs> Why don't you tell the people what the hardware is? Um, it, it literally is just a, um, a headset that, um, you, you can plug into, uh, you know, anything. Yeah. Any computer or, um, Walkman. Oh, okay. You, people don't use Walkmans anymore. I don't think. (laughs) No, no, people don't use people don't use Walkman anymore that I that I know of. I suppose it's possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're you're in rare form tonight, Simon. <laughs> oh, it's just one of those days. Anyway, I had no clue if if this um, rig was going to work, and I'm watching the clock countdown. And it gets down to like five seconds, and I'm going, "Oh crap!" 
Well, I'm I'm hearing you very well. So, <laughs> so there you go. Oh, okay. So, um, we didn't really uh, have a an agenda set up, and, and we really should start doing that on a on a weekly basis. You know. <laughs> Rob, I, um, I, I I agree. the the week The week seems to get away from me. Uh, I, I, still, <laughs> yes, it, I still I still write for a living. I still have a business um, financing litigation, which uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about lawsuit financial and and how litigation financing works. That's probably a topic we ought to discuss. But oh, um, I, I yes, I, I, I would. would I I would love to uh, discuss that topic because it's all uh, a mystery to me. Okay, we can we can can talk about that one of these days. But uh, in in the in the busyness, uh, and maybe that's why they call businesses business. Um, (laughs) If you if you break it down, busyness. And uh, in the in a busy week, uh, Monday comes along and it it just uh, I don't know hits me like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, I say to myself, "We don't have uh, a top. I haven't ha- I haven't called Simon and given him a topic to discuss for Monday night's broadcast." So I, I apologize to you and to the people, but I but I I thought we discussed tonight. Um, putting on my author hat, I thought we would discuss tonight uh, what inspires me as an author, uh, aside from issues, uh, some of which we've discussed on this program. Um, One of the uh, things that inspired me to be a lawyer that inspires me to fight for uh, the little people. One of the things that fight that inspires me to fight for social justice and civil justice, and in some degree criminal justice, is uh, other authors and books that I've read throughout my life uh, that have inspired me not only to uh, become a better lawyer, but have inspired me to become an author. So I thought we maybe we would discuss uh, famous, not so famous, uh, legal themed novels uh, and authors tonight. It sounds great to me. Um, the I, I I am an avid book reader, but off the top of the head, top of my head. The um, only um, best-selling author I can think of in the legal genre is John Grisham. Um, Yes, I I like him, and uh, yes, I've read uh, a a number of his books, and uh, very much enjoyed all of the books that I've read. Um, how about you? Do, do you uh, do you rate John Grissom as a 
as a good author? Well, I I read I read John Grissom as a successful author. Um, he's who I want to be when I grow up, and I'm 67 <laughs> years old. Um, uh, as to the quality of his writing, it depends on the book. Um, it's interesting that you bring him up, uh, and. You know, there's there's an issue as a as a writer in that genre, uh, what is now known as legal thrillers. Um, you're not an uncommon reader. The only legal thriller author you can name, even though you do a show with Mark Bellow, is John Grissom. Uh, um, Mark Bellow is a legal thriller author. Uh, Scott Turow is a legal thriller author. Lisa Scottline is a legal thriller author. Steve Martini, Michael Connolly, William Myers Jr., Scott Pratt, Linda Fairstein, Sheldon Siegel, Robin James, Robert Dugani, Peter O'Mahony, John Ellsworth, Jeff Carson, John Luscroart, and so on. And those are all current legal thriller authors. So there are a lot of them out there, and they write uh, very good novels that I enjoy, um, as well as enjoying John Grissom. Um, In compiling a list for tonight, there are two Grissom novels on it. Uh, One, because it's a terrific, terrific book, and the other is because it is a tremendously successful book. So if you want to discuss Grissom first, we can certainly do that. Sure. Far away. Get, name the two books. <laughs> name three of his books? No. Th- na- you, you said you had two books on your list. Right. The two books we- are... Kill, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. That's one. Of, that's what. That's a, that book's on the list. Also, you forgot Harper Lee. Um, uh, although she's not a modern uh, author, the the first book is The Firm. Uh, yes. And most people, most people who read John Grissom have read The Firm. Now, I enjoyed The Firm um, as a novel. As a lawyer, uh, who I don't know looks for to some degree reality uh, in uh, the books I read, especially about the law, I found the firm a little bit hokey. Uh, having said that, it was certainly a interesting book, a creative book. Um, I remember reading uh, a review of it that that talked about um, Grissom being able to turn Xeroxing into a a nail-biting adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, indeed he does. (laughs) And that's absolutely true. Uh, If you recall the scene, 
where uh, uh, what was the uh, Mitch McDear was his name. Mitch yep. McDear, the young lawyer uh, who uh, in the film is played by Tom Cruise, um, is trying to copy a bunch of the firm's records before he runs for his life and uh, trying to get all the documents copied before he gets caught. And it's really quite a uh, an interesting scene. It, it's a better scene frankly, in the movie than it is in the book. But it's, it, it, is, it does certainly turn Xeroxing into a nail-biting adventure. So. Uh, very, very, very well written. Well, one of the things um, uh, I usually dislike about movies is that they butcher the book. And for many years, I was a big fan of avoiding movies and just read the book. However, the firm is an exceptionally well-done movie. And yes, it is. Stays, uh, and stays, you know, uh, truthful to the book. And so it's, a, it's also an, it's also a, a very well done book. But um, if you're if you're comparing Grissom to Grissom, uh, Grissom's best book, in my opinion. Uh, which we'll talk about in a second, is a time to kill. Um, <laughs> and the re- the reason I feel that way is because it's a much more um, important book. It's a compelling topic. Uh, it's realistic. It happens and can happen in America. And, uh, uh, you know, a firm run by the mafia which is what the firm was about, uh, is a little more hokey, uh, more Hollywood, which is why, by the way, it, it is such a good movie uh, and why it translates into film so well. Um, it, uh, the firm I'm talking about now. Right. Um, and, and by the way, for, for, the, for the five people in the whole world who have not read the firm or, or seen the movie... <laughs> It's it's about a, Har- a Harvard law graduate who gets a job in his hometown Memphis. And I'm sorry, it's not his hometown. He moves to Memphis to take this job uh, at a law firm. And it turns out that the firm is controlled by some kind of uh, uh, mafia-like uh, group. And when he finds that out, uh, he's not only disenchanted, but uh, he's terrified and ends up uh, essentially cooperating with uh, federal investigators and uh, ends up being a target uh, for murder by the very people that hired him. Uh, I won't go any further than that. Uh, it's, it's quite an interesting concept. Uh, a very neat uh, and well-written book, but I, 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 you know, in the, in the sense of of 
what I call civil, criminal, or social justice, uh, I think A Time to Kill is a much more important book. You're going to have to refresh my memory. I, I have read the book, but it was many years ago. Um, give me a quick synopsis. Well, A Time to Kill, first of all, uh, as I indicated, I, this is probably the third time I've said it, I believe A Time to Kill is John Grissom's best book. It was written in 1989, and it is also his first book. So a guy who has been an author for 30 years uh, has sold millions of, of, of books and has written uh, at least a book a year for the last 30 years. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, his first novel, in my judgment, is still his best. Um, uh, the way the story goes, if you if you if you hear Grissom himself tell it, he couldn't sell the book. He couldn't get it published. He bought something like two thousand of his own books and uh, started handing them out to people. Um, a publisher by the name of Winwood Press gave him a 5,000 copy printing and when Doubleday published the firm Winwood released a paperback of A Time to Kill and after the firm became a bestseller so did A Time to Kill so he had to write the firm in order to sell uh, A Time to Kill so a little interesting history in the in the uh, success story of John Grissom. But what um, A Time to Kill is about is uh, a young 10-year-old black uh, girl it is raped and beaten by two white men. And uh, the father of the child, finds out who committed the crime, and essentially takes the law into his own hands and uh, takes care of the the problem. I don't don't want to ruin the book for people, but... but, uh, uh, a young lawyer by the name of Jake Fergance, who uh, many, many, many years later uh, is revisited by Grissom in the book Sycamore Row, which yes. is uh, rather, <laughs> re- rather recent. Um, I would hardly call the Fergance novels a series. Uh, they don't follow each other the way uh, a typical series does. Uh, they were written many, many years apart, uh, but there is, there is a second, there is a second Jake Brigance novel. Uh, but in this book, he's a young lawyer. Uh, I don't remember whether he is appointed to uh, represent 
uh, uh, the gentleman or not, but um, he essentially becomes the lawyer for the father who commits the crime against uh, the men who raped and beat his daughter. Uh, as a reader, you find yourself surprisingly rooting for the criminal. You're rooting for the father who committed a crime. Um, and you also sit there and say, when is it appropriate for someone to take justice into their own hands? Uh, as a lawyer, I would say never. As a father, I would say, oh, my God, what would I do in a situation like this? What would any father do in a situation like this? So when you're sitting here thinking about these things as a lawyer and as a father, you realize that Mr. Grissom wrote a great book because he's got you questioning uh, your judgment, your ethics, uh, your role as a lawyer, your role as a father, your role as someone who is in the justice system. Um, it's just a, a terrific, terrific book on the subject of of race, uh, racial tension, racial injustice. Um, uh, it, it's it's quite an amazing uh, novel, and I, uh, I I I highly recommend if you're going to read a Griffin novel, you might as well start at the beginning and read the best one. You mentioned. Um... Sycamore Row. Um, although the subject matter, uh, some might argue, is completely different, in my opinion, it's completely the same. Um, well, I, I, I haven't read the book, uh, Sycamore Row. Uh, I'm aware that it's a, a Jake Berganza's novel, and I, and I want to read it, but I can't comment on a book I haven't read, so... Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're you're welcome. If you've read it, you're welcome to do that. I I, I just haven't read that book. I I would uh, strongly uh, recommend that you you read it, and we can revisit uh, it in a, a a future program. I I think you'll find that. Um, uh, that there are some themes that um, are, uh, are running through uh, both books. Okay. Yeah. Okay. By the way, one, one, thing, one thing about A Time to Kill that, that we haven't mentioned is when you're a young white lawyer representing a black man accused of killing two white men, um, you could imagine in a southern town uh, what the community thinks of you. Um, so there's that element as well. Uh, uh, he puts himself and his family in danger and becomes a target himself. So it's a very, very multifaceted, interesting novel, and I highly recommend A Time to Kill. And if you don't, if you can't take the time to read to read the book, watch the movie. It's a good movie too. Right, that that is the one thing about um, Grissom. 
his books uh, do tend to lend themselves nicely to the movies. Um, I, I can't think of a, um, a, a book that has received a bad treatment by, uh, by Hollywood. Can you? Uh, no, I, I think I think that I think the law, legal themed novels or screenplays or plays um, are are good candidates for Hollywood. Uh, you've got trial scenes that everybody likes. Um, it's it's a pretty easy. I, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to suggest that anybody's job is easy. Uh, it, it isn't easy to produce a movie. Don't get me wrong, but but transferring a legal themed book into a movie seems to be something that is very popular to do. Um, uh, there's a book in a movie called Anatomy of a Murder. Um, which is also on my list, by the way. And I don't know if you're familiar with Anatomy of a Murder, but it's uh, mm. a, ver- a very famous novel that was turned into a book. Uh, I'm sorry, that was turned into a movie. Um, the book was written in 1958 by Robert Trevor, and it's it's actually credited as being... Uh, the first legal thriller. Now, I don't, uh, you know, I'm an old man. Um, I remember watching Perry Mason as a child, and there's an author by the name of Earl Stanley Gardner who wrote <laughs> 73, 73 Perry Mason novels, uh, which was turned into a television series and multiple TV movies. So I would think that uh, Earl Stanley Gardner would would argue with crediting Robert Traver. With, um, what's going on in the background there, Simon? <laughs> there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of noise back there. Actually, um, I, I I was chuckling when you um, mentioned that you know that there were 73 um, novels. Um, in this was many years ago. Um, I, I was living in San Diego, and my my wife wanted not a job, but she just wanted something. She she just wanted you know something to do. So she volunteered at the uh, local library. And um, she did her uh, day of volunteering. I got home from work and I said, so how was it? She said, fascinating. I said, what did they have you doing? They put me in the Agatha Christie section and have me um, organize all the books. <laughs> right. So, so what well, you do well, there were, afterwards? <laughs> there were seventy-three of them. 
<laughs> she said there wasn't time to do anything else. <laughs> I have no clue how many books Agatha Christie has out in print. But it, seventy-three Perry Mason books. Right. Uh, so, so, from the standpoint of, of Trevor being the first legal thriller, you know, I don't know whether you'd consider Perry Mason novels legal thrillers or not. Uh, uh, we all know uh, the the basic theme of a Perry Mason novel uh, and how they, and how they go. Uh, but I, I, I believe they fit in the category of legal thrillers. And, and by the way, that series began in 1933, uh, 25 years before Robert Trevor wrote uh, Anatomy of a Murder. But Anatomy of a Murder is about a U.S. Army lieutenant um, who confesses to murdering the man who raped his wife. So it's kind of similar to... Uh, a time to kill in that regard. Um, the once he confesses, uh, he's assigned an attorney, and as the truth comes out, the uh, husband has no memory of the shooting. So he essentially pursues a version of temporary insanity um, to obtain a not guilty verdict uh, called irresistible impulse. And I won't get into the legal nuances of of irresistible impulse and temporary insanity, but it's quite an interesting um, back and forth between the defense and the prosecution over uh, this issue. And there are tremendous, tremendous courtroom scenes in Anatomy of, in Anatomy of a Murder. One of my favorite, favorite legal uh, novels in a um, classic film uh, directed by Otto Preminger. So I, uh, it, you know, it's 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 old. Uh, I haven't read it in a long time. It might have an old feel to it compared to modern novels, but what a terrific, terrific uh, novel and movie Anatomy of a Murder is. I I think I've seen it, um, but the movie I I don't believe I've read the book. Um, okay. right. um, but yeah, not, not, everything I recommend, not everything I recommend is, is, is new and modern, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> not everything I recommend um, is new and modern. Um, you know, I'm uh, outside of talking to you, I, um, I, I play in the um, music world. And and book world, and you know, some of my favorite books were uh, written in the seventies or uh, or before. Some of my favorite music 
is from the 70s or before. So new and modern <laughs> does not always, uh, you know, a- appeal to me. You know, right. bright and bright and shiny uh, doesn't um, doesn't hold my uh, gaze for very long. So, what else is on your list? Um, have you read it? Have you read uh, Scott Turow? I no. I, I, I won't pretend to um, BS you here. Right, you I, might, I know you might, you might. You might know Scott Turow's work, um, uh, and not realize it. Uh, there was a there was a film called Presumed Innocent uh, with Harrison Ford that is based on uh, what I consider to be Scott Turow's second best novel, uh, Presumed Innocent. Um, It's about a prosecuting attorney in uh, Illinois. Uh, I think it's a Chicago suburb. Um, uh, he's a married man, and his girlfriend, uh, lover, is found murdered, and he becomes the prime suspect. Uh, it's a very, very um, realistic, as far as the law is concerned. Uh, it's his first novel, uh, Presumed Innocent. Um, just as Grissom, uh, he almost writes his best novel um, the first time he writes. Uh, the only difference is that he writes a book later called Personal Injuries, and I believe that's a better novel. Uh, by a razor-thin margin. Um I'm not going to tell you whether a Rusty Savage is a is guilty or innocent, uh, although most people probably have read the book or seen the movie uh, presumed innocent. Um, but um, it, it's just a, a, a very interesting study in crime, evidence, the workings of a large courtroom, and... Um, uh, a, a, a twister of a plot that that uh, uh, um, is just it's just an excellent excellent novel and I, rec- I highly recommend uh, Presumed Innocent to those who have not seen the movie or read the novel. There there, there is another author that um, I, I think we should discuss. Uh, his first book, um, I think was an absolute cracker um, titled Betrayal of Faith. Have have you uh, read it? (laughs) Betrayal of Faith is a is a um, fictional fictionalized account of a an actual case that I handled in the 80s 
uh, a, a Catholic priest uh, molested two young boys in Farmington, Michigan, uh, and I handled the case from beginning to end, got a good result for my client, and always felt that uh, the um, incident uh, and, and other incidents like it would make a good topic for uh, uh, either a, um, a a docudrama, for lack of a better way to say it, or uh, a novel. I chose to write a novel. By the way, uh, um, before we go on about Trail of Faith, uh, I mentioned the term docudrama. Uh, one of the books on my list is In Cold Blood. In Cold Blood, uh, uh, Truman Capote uh, wrote a terrific book, uh, but it wasn't a novel. It was a drama based on an actual case where uh, two sadistic murderers murdered an entire family um, so the question is, you know, does it count as a legal thriller uh, because it was written about real events? Um, the Trail of Faith is written about real events, but it is uh, entirely fictional, uh, unlike unlike uh, In Cold Blood. Um uh, the novel takes you through uh, the discovery by the mother that her kids had been harmed by the priest, her retention of a lawyer, the lawyer's uh, uh, not in a good place in his career, and he tries to sell out his client for a quick buck and almost pays the ultimate price for doing so, she fires him. He, portray, he uh, persuades her to rehire him, and he uh, commences, along with his uh, sidekick, a private investigator extraordinaire named Michael Love. Uh, the lawyer, Zachary Blake, uh, pursues justice for these two boys. And standing in his way is a um, clandestine-type organization hidden within the church uh, that is not, by the way, designated in the novel as, a, as the Catholic Church. It's just called the church. So I don't pick on Catholics in this book. Uh, many people say I have. I, uh, I challenge anybody to find the word Catholic in this book. But... Um, The two of them uncover or seek to uncover uh, a rather sinister plot to cover up these kinds of events and uh, subvert justice. It's a, it's a very, very interesting take on uh, a, a theme that has devastated the church and uh, 
congregants of the church for well over 50 years. Um, it's a very interesting take on uh, how the legal system handles these kinds of cases. Uh, spot, spotlight, uh, the Academy Award-winning movie, uh, discussed the Boston area incidents. Uh, my book discusses incidents that occurred in Michigan, but the difference between the two is that Spotlight centers upon uh, the press and the exposure of the scandal, um, betrayal of faith, uh, is an intense look at how the legal system uh, deals with both the victims and the perpetrators uh, on the criminal justice side and on the civil justice side. Uh, as to whether it's it's a top ten novel on anybody's list, I'll leave that for others to decide. Uh, I'm very proud of the novel. I think it's a I, great um, you you should be very proud of the uh, book. It, it is exceptionally well written, and um, um, it flows. You know, from page one. Uh, you, you just carried away on on the story. You, you're part of it. You, you can you, you can see the characters. Um, a few times you see them in places that you uh, go, oh no, I don't want to ever see that again. <laughs> it's a, it's a difficult topic to write about. Uh, it's also a difficult topic to read about. Um, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I, not not ha-ha funny, but uh, when I first sat down to write a book, I, I bought a, a, a little pamphlet, um, something, you know, something stupid like, I, I, I can't recall the title, but I'm going to make up a title, How to Write Your First Novel. Right. Uh, um because I had no idea, other than books I've read in the past, um, how one sits down and writes a full-length novel. Uh, I've now written six, and I'm working on a seventh, so I have a little bit more of an idea of, uh, of how to do what I did uh, with The Trail of Faith. But at the time, it, it was quite a daunting task, and the first Almost the first sentence in the book said, don't write about dark subjects like child abuse. <laughs> and they actually, it actually said that. So um, uh, it almost scared me away from writing the book. I, I, I want to assure people, whoever's listening to this, that that is not what the book is about. Uh, it is not a book about child abuse. It's a book about predatory behavior and how the criminal and civil justice system handles uh, the predator, the victim of his crime, and how the civil justice system punishes or should punish the people who cover up the crime. I believe strongly that if you cover up someone's crime, 
as an institution, as a as a higher up, you ought to be a subject to criminal prosecution, and you ought to be in jail as well. Uh, my book did not deal with those issues. It dealt with the civil aspects of uh, covering up this abhorrent behavior. Uh, and what I still, for the life of me, 50 years later, can't understand is why the church continues to protect these predator priests and cover up their behavior and try to sweep it under the rug. Uh, they need to get rid of these people. Yes, it it, it is a mystery. Um, you know, I don't see I've... the upside of it. I, I just don't see the upside of it. No, <laughs> there, there, there isn't an upside. Um, they, it would be much better if uh, they, they, uh, you know, when when they find misdoings, wrongdoings, they 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 just got rid of the person. Uh, and reported them to the uh, proper authorities and, and let justice take its course. Well, they're, and they're just now getting to that. Uh, they're just now finally uh, becoming a little more public about pursuing these people and prosecuting them and uh, defrocking them. Uh, preventing them from um, practicing in the clergy. Uh, by the way, I, I, it isn't a surprise, I don't think, to anybody who has followed this, but uh, what I'm talking about here, and now this is not fiction, this is fact. I, I want to I tell you the case that I handled and the priest, the actual priest involved in the case, um, molested four boys in a small Michigan town back in 1971. The penalty for doing that was a transfer. Where did he get transferred? About 40 miles up the road from one Michigan town in Wayne County to a second Michigan town in Oakland County where the two boys I represented this is the this is the actual case I'm talking about now uh, were molested all the church had to do was deal with this priest after the first incident happened and instead they transferred him and put him in a position where he could molest two more children the four boys and their mother sued the church and collected uh, a rather insignificant amount of money considering what happened to them and considering that there were four of them. And then the lawyer for the boys 
allowed, and the judge for that matter, allowed the case to be sealed. Now, if you're going to seal the existence of a case, and for those of you who don't know what sealing means, it means the case does not show up on the court records. You can't find it. So this case, if I wanted to research whether this priest had been sued before, I can easily find that information. This case, I could not find that information because the records were sealed. If you're going to seal a case, it seems to me you ought to do very, very well on it, and you ought to be paid to seal a case. In this case, the recovery was insignificant, and they sealed it anyway. So you've got the church participating in the cover-up, the victims, the first victims participating in the cover-up, the criminal and civil justice systems participating in the cover-up. That's how powerful the church was in 1971. Before you you go on, let's um, talk about sealing of cases just a little bit because you've got my ears perked up here. Um, Who decides on whether a case should be sealed and what is the criteria for making that determination? Well, well, the in this case, I don't. You don't see it very often, by the way. But in this case, um, the church had a compelling interest in uh, not letting the public know that predatory behavior was being engaged in by their um, pastors and associate pastors. Uh, so they sought. Um, the uh, seal. Um, how do you achieve that? You go to court. You first you settle the case. Um, you offer uh, a, the the equivalent of a bribe, although it's not an illegal bribe. But you offer uh, the plaintiff uh, money to permit um, the case to be sealed. Now, you can simply ask that the case be sealed, and maybe in this case, these people were so devoted to the church, they thought it would harm the church and decided to agree to a seal because they didn't get much money to do it. So it could have been just courtesy. Then you go to court and you say, uh, on a a motion – Your Honor, both sides have agreed to have this case sealed. Now, what the judge could have done at that point, um, and I can't remember who the judge was, uh, a different judge, by the way, a very brave judge, uh, unsealed the file for us uh, on our motion, and that's how I discovered the uh, prior incident. But um, this original judge... 
uh, sealed the file, and I'm guessing this is this is purely an educational guess that he did it to protect the church from uh, scandal, and did not even consider the possibility because who would think that the church would do this? Did not consider the possibility that they put the priest right back to work working with children in a second time. Now, in my case, uh, we did not agree to a seal. The priest, um, we resolved the case. The priest again got transferred and again got transferred to a place where he could uh, encounter, encounter children. And um, we notified, this was, by the way, in Cleveland, Ohio. We notified the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer newspaper, uh, and they splashed uh, the history of my case uh, on the front page of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and uh, the priest was drummed out of town. Where did he go? Baltimore, Maryland. In what position? Associate pastor, again with children. Again, we wrote a uh, detailed letter recounting the um, case and the results, and it was splashed all over the front of the Baltimore Sun. And uh, shortly after that, uh, he was dismissed from uh, his Baltimore assignment and later defrocked, and that was the end of that. So it took a lot of effort to get them to do the right thing, and that's the sad part about this this situation. Now, today, it's a little more public, uh, a lot more public, I should say. Uh, Many people are aware of the scandal, and I don't think it, it goes the way it did back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, in Michigan, but it was quite a nightmare of a situation, and very hard to get them to uh, do the right thing. We've got about um, five minutes left, Um, so I've got to ask the uh, all-important question. Where can uh, people buy your books? They can go to markambello.com. That's M-A-R-K, middle initial M, last name B-E-L-L-O.com. They can also go to Amazon uh, and put in my name or uh, Zachary Blake, uh, my lawyer hero, or... Uh, Betrayal of Faith, Betrayal of Justice, Betrayal in Blue, and soon uh, Betrayal in Black, and they'll find all four current novels uh, in the Amazon system. Uh, Over the next uh, few months, we're going to take the book um, uh, and uh, release it more broadly, but right now it's on Amazon only. So... What is 
what have you got um, planned um, for the near future? One more time, I'm sorry. What What have you got planned for the uh, near future? You the the new the new the new book. Yes. Trail in Black is a is a uh, novel about uh, a white police officer who pulls over a young uh, black family and um, panics when the uh, black driver uh, tells him that he uh, is legally carrying a gun. Um, He shouts out conflicting commands, put your hand on the dash, give me your license and registration, and when the man reaches for his license and registration, the cop uh, shoots him several times and causes his death. And the novel takes the reader through, again, very much like the trail of, uh, of faith does, takes him through, takes you through the criminal and civil justice systems handling of a racially charged uh, cop on black uh, traffic stop shooting. Uh, it's it's again loosely based on an incident uh, that happened uh, in Minnesota uh, to a gentleman by the name of Castile. Uh, I, I use that incident as as the um, premise for the novel. It's a it's a a very interesting study in uh, the political and racial divide in this country over these kinds of incidents. Uh, that is my latest novel. It's called Betrayal in Black. It comes out in mid-December, right before Christmas. Perfect Christmas reading, I would say. <laughs> so, Mark, I don't know that I would call it Christmas reading, but but uh, we never we never finished all the books I wanted to talk about. But okay, okay. Well, we'll do that. We'll do that another time. Well, your choice. I I can add more uh, minutes to the clock here, or uh, um, we can no, we'll pick see, it up we'll again we'll next see. week. We'll save it for another another. T- I I just got off a plane. I'm I'm, a, I'm kind of tired, but the, but I'm happy to discuss. Uh, I mentioned uh, uh, that presumed innocent was my second favorite Scott Turow book. Uh, Personal injuries is my favorite Scott Turow book, and we'll talk about that maybe next time. Um, uh, by the way, there are two books uh, between uh, Betrayal in Black and Betrayal of Faith, and they are Betrayal of Justice and Betrayal in Blue. Uh, they are kind of um, back-to-back novels, of, and um, a bigoted president and how um, uh, certain 
people of color and of uh, unique ethnic origin are mistreated in the civil and criminal justice systems. So um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm proud of all four of those books. And I think all of them are compelling reads, but I'm prejudiced. So <laughs> we, we need to, we need to find some people who have read the books that uh, are, are willing to talk about them, uh, that <laughs> and, have, and aren't the authors. <laughs> right. I, I, we will I enjoy, do that. I enjoy talking about Grissom and and Thoreau and 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 other authors. We didn't even mention. Uh, the best legal thriller of all time, which is To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, we started talking about it, but not really. Uh, that's my all-time favorite legal-themed novel. Uh, there are there are some tremendous, tremendous legal-themed uh, novels out there for people who enjoy those kinds of novels. Um, if you'd like... Uh, please drop me a line, and I'll give you a list of 10, 15 novels that uh, I recommend, uh, strongly recommend that you read if you want to get into uh, reading uh, what is now called legal thrillers. I'll tell you what. Why don't you um, send me the list, and um, I'll I'll put up a, a, a quick article on Blogger News and um, okay. get get the word out. <laughs> okay. People who, people who want to get a hold of me, by the way, can do that on uh, at markambello.com or they can send an email to legalthrillerauthor at yahoo.com. All right. And we are completely flat out of time. Uh, Mark, it's been a wonderful uh, discussion, and uh, we should do it again very soon, like uh, next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got it. <laughs> do, do you have any uh, parting words for us? Uh, for those of you who don't uh, read as often as you should. Uh, I highly recommend reading as a uh, calming, satisfying experience. Uh, We live in a hustle-bustle world where information is available to us at our fingertips and we're constantly uh, uh, under attack uh, by social media, by television, by the impeachment inquiry, by a president uh, who was rather bombastic. Um, Shut out the world, sit down with a book, and enjoy the experience. Make it it a Mark Abello book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is Simon Barrett wishing everyone a happy healthy and safe week we'll be back again next week same time and
Who knows what we'll be talking about, but I can guarantee it will be something interesting. Till then, goodbye. Bye, everybody.